Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Do Better podcast. This is Dr. Megan Miller, and we have two very special guests on our show today. We have Camille and Melody, who are going to be talking with us about different experiences in the field, and I'm here to listen and learn. Welcome, Camille and Melody. Thanks. Thank you. Do you all want to start off with talking a little bit about yourselves? And I'm just mostly going to listen unless you want me to chime in on anything. Um, sure, I'll introduce myself. So I'm Melody. I'm a Black and also Haitian American woman. So my dad's, um, my dad and my dad's side of the family are from Haiti. Um, my mom is from um, the States, Louisiana specifically. Um, I've been at BCBA since um, 2015 and I've been working in the field for 11 years now total. Um, and yes, I also live in the UAE. I've traveled to several different countries. Um, so I think that will be, I'm, I'm looking forward to sharing that part of my perspective too. I am Camille. Um, I am a black African American, cisgender, lesbian behavior analyst. So um, a lot of my perspective will probably be more um, about just like the intersectionality of all of those identities and how they kind of show up in my work. Um, I have been a behavior analyst only since last year. I'm like a baby analyst, uh, but I've been in the field since 2013. Um, and yeah, I just look forward to just kind of talking about just our different perspectives of what it's like to be a Black um, behavior analyst, black female behavior analyst as well. Melody, do you have any like unique experiences being like where you are versus when you were here in the in the congruent United States? Um, yes, in terms of um, well, I think um, anti-blackness, first of all, is a global issue. Um, it's not just something that's unique to the United States. Um, and it's not something that I just became aware of when I moved um, to the UAE. I will say that my experience living in the UAE um, has not, I've, I don't fear for my safety here. I don't fear, fear for my safety as a Black woman, um, which I'm thankful to be in that situation. Um, but in just in my travels and in the different countries that I've been to, um, and even living abroad, um, the theme of white supremacy and white supremacist values um, are still uh, pervasive here, <laughs> um, pervasive glo globally. Um, I can't think of a single country that I've visited where um, lighter skinned people are not seen as better. Um, you know, typically the people with um, lower paying jobs tend to be darker. Um, and that's, that's just a theme. Um, it's true even in um, Black countries as well, which we can talk about like why that happens. 
Um, but yeah, that's my, that's my global perspective at least. Um, and then I have other perspectives that I can share just growing up and what my experience has been uh, just throughout my life too. I feel like here in Hawaii, um, although it obviously is a, uh, one of the 50 states, I share that same experience as you as like not being very fearful like of my life here. I feel, I mean, I literally like if I see like a police car or anything like that, I don't feel scared the same way or anxious like the same way that I would back on the mainland. Um, and it's actually really cool because working here, um, I have noticed so many similarities between like black culture and Hawaiian culture that it's almost this sense of like feeling just so at peace here that I just, I mean, we're military, so we're going to have to move, you know, in a few years, but it's almost like I really don't want to leave. Like it, it's such a, and not to say that, that I'm so naive or blind to, to, to um, think that like anti-blackness or racism or white supremacy um, or that culture like doesn't happen here, but it really is not so overt where where I am literally like it feels heavy to show up like in my blackness every single day um, the way that it did on the mainland. And I just I'm so sad about having to eventually have to, <laughs> to leave and and to give that up. Um, so yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. I was gonna say like that even I think among marginal, marginalized people and people of color, even being a black person in a community of, um, you know, predominantly another marginalized group, um, a lot of the times, because just because of the shared experience and a lot of times overlap in culture, you do feel more comfortable. Um, I went to, uh, my high school that I, where I graduated high school was 80, 85% Hispanic. Um, and of course, you know, you, there are a couple moments where I wasn't a hundred percent myself, uh, but there were a lot of moments where there was so much overlap in my experiences and, and the experience of the Hispanic students that I went to school with too. Yeah. Well, that's what's so interesting too about being here is that like, I have found that pairing, I mean, I, I, we all know that like pairing is everything, right? But like pairing and having um, like my identity as a black woman trying and like really being intentional on also learning like more about like the Hawaiian culture before I just go in with like only my BCBA hat on has been like essential for, I believe, like the success that I've had in pairing with my clients, pairing with their parents. Um, especially with the teachers, because, you know, a lot of the teachers that I work with are, are from here, and they do have this very kind of scared and fearful perception of, like, outsiders and outsiders coming in, and and rightfully so. Like, I'm literally on Oahu where, you know, they um, have definitely been oppressed and pushed out of, of, of their own community, and so having... Um, really even like the wherewithal to even think like, huh, let me do some kind of research on Hawaiian culture before I start working with these people. Like, they're so appreciative of that. And it kind of makes me sad because it's like, that shouldn't be revolutionary. Like, we should all think <laughs> to at the very least, like Google, you know, something about, uh, you know, whatever culture or race or religion or whatever it is, you know, like, 
or whoever it is that we're working with before working with them. And it almost makes me sad how like, appreciative they are um, for me doing that. But then when I think about like my blackness and I think about, again, like we work in a field that until two weeks ago <laughs> did not, you know, as a collective think to do the same thing for, for, for us, both um, as the practitioners, both as the clients, um, you know, it makes sense. It's just, it's sad. It's very sad. Um, yeah, I think um, one of the things that I'm thinking, thinking about right now, at least while it's fresh in my mind, is just um, my learning history and the things that I've experienced. Um, you know, we hear things like um, representation matters. And um, I don't know if people understand why it matters. <laughs> um, so I'll, this is my, and before I say anything, I also feel like it's really important to note that this is my experience. I don't speak for my entire race. Um, we have a lot of, um, neither one of us speaks for, for our entire race. So we have a lot of um, overlap, you know, a lot of like a collective shared experience, but at the end of the day, we're still each individuals. And um, my experience in my childhood and, you know, how white supremacy has showed up in my life uh, can be similar sometimes, but it can be also very, very different from another uh, Black person. So white people need to always remember that. Um, and I think right now in the age of, not even age, but <laughs> the, the past couple of weeks of like this newly increased motivation to, you know, find out what I can do and um, let me go learn from <laughs> all of these people and read books and like, which is great because the education is important, but um, keeping in mind that you're not going to have all the answers after talking to five people or 10 people. Um, and one of the main reasons you're not going to have the answers is because, uh, you know, especially if you're new to the work, it's going to take time. And then two, um, everyone's experience is unique, is different. Um, there's always something to learn with every uh, person that you, that you talk to. Um, so yeah, so all of that being said, going back to representation, I grew up, um, you know, I spent time living with my dad, who's Haitian. I spent um, a couple years of my life living with my mom. My, my parents were not together. Um, and growing up, um, just to a glimpse into my childhood, I played with white Barbie dolls. I had all of the Disney um, VHS all of them, Cinderella, you know, I would probably could make a fortune off of it now if I still had those original box tapes. Um, but I had all of those. Um, I listened to um, a variety of music, among that being um, popular pop white artist. So, so early um, in my life, you know, um, what was associated with beautiful and smart and pretty and talented were white people <laughs> um, all the time, all the time, every day. And it's like, 
Um, it's just the norm, it's the standard. And when you have, um, you know, even from an RFP perspective, all of these pairings over and over and over, um, it, it creates the pairing of uh, beautiful, smart, talented equals white. Um, and there's this constant uh, desire to be more white. Um, so I'll let Camille chime in on that if you want to share your uh, yeah. journey. So interestingly enough, so I, I grew up um, in a household that was very like pro-Black. Um, my dad was born in 1955. He went through um, uh, a lot of very severe, and I mean very severe um, instances of racism. I mean, constantly. My grandmother, at my great-grandmother or great-great-grandmother, my grandmother saw her, bro her brother be lynched. So like racism and knowing about my heritage and my culture, it was so, um, and being proud of it, like being taught, being actively taught to be proud of it was so deeply enriched in my household. We had like all black providers growing up, like it was just very, very intentional. But I somehow still um, internalized some of the messages that you were speaking about. So um, my parents were the ones that were like, no, you're not getting a white doll, <laughs> you're getting a black doll. But because I watched like Barney and Sesame Street and things like that, that I, I somehow still yearned for what I thought was like right, which was whiteness. And so um, I wanted to be like the Mariah Carey. I wanted to be like the Christina Aguilera without, re and, and, and now that I'm an adult trying to conceptualize that, knowing how intentional my parents were, I'm trying to like pair blackness with so much greatness. I'm still honestly so confused on, on, on um, well, not really, but I'm somewhat, I should say, confused on like how that happened. Um, but yeah, I grew up um, in like the suburbs of Detroit and Metro Detroit. And so um, it was, it was very diverse. I mean, I grew up with, I mean, truly like some of everybody, like not just black and white. I mean, like really like some of everybody. Um, but I just remember feeling so conflicted in like my blackness. And it took me a very long time to really like that about myself and really appreciate that about myself. Um, and I think for me, kind of going back to like your point, like that is why representation matters so much to me. Like it is important that my black clients see that they can be, not to say that I'm like a role model, but I just literally mean like, I want them to see like, oh, I can be a black behavior analyst. I want them to see that, that they can be anything. I am so intentional with my godchildren, my niece and my nephew on, I mean, literally, I have mantras that I, I teach them and I make them repeat because if they don't see that, I mean, it can really create some very, very heavy, just heavy, heavy, um, I think, trauma. Yeah. Um, and I feel like at least, because um, I have a lot of younger nieces, nephews, and um, small cousins in my family too. And, you know, when I, when I see what they're playing with and what they're reading, there's all of these amazing, you know, 
um, black dolls. There's, you know, these things um, when I was a child were not nearly as available. Like you would go to the store and there were just like white dolls to choose from. And, you know, your parents buy them for you because it's Christmas. Like <laughs> um, they want you to be happy, but it's, um, you know, it's still sending that, that message. And it's not, not that it's our parents fault. That's definitely not what I'm saying. But um, now um, I think it's amazing that like people have started to, to realize this. Um, I also teach yoga and there's a big conversation happening around this in the yoga and wellness space and the pairings that are happening that, you know, mental health and um, wellness and practicing yoga, despite the fact that it's not even um, European, first of all, is associated with skinny, white, blonde, eating a kale salad uh, and just <laughs> smiling, you know, um, and that's uh, what it is. And, um, you know, in, in yoga now, um, you know, it used to be like when people were really st first starting to have this conversation, you would type yoga into Google and you would just get a bunch of pictures of white women. Um, and now Google, now if you type yoga, you'll get like a variety because I think that now um, people are hyper aware to this. Um, but it's the same thing with the dolls. Like I didn't have, you know, these like black uh, cartoon characters to watch and um, these books and so like what the kids um, in our communities are being exposed to now um, is so much better than um, what, what we had too. And there's still so like far to go. I, I, I think right now there's a, actually a petition going around um, because even like in Disney movies, you don't see two black characters falling in love with each other. Or if you do, in um, like Princess and the Frog, it has to be a super super light skinned um, character with you know a more a more darker skinned um, character. Band Aids, like there was a company that came out through, uh, years ago where they they were like, yo, like there's not any skin tone or like flesh tone band-aids for, for people who are brown and they made those and it's like those little things I say it all the time like I remember having to tell when I was at RDT my supervisors like when they're writing a task analysis for hairbrushing like they literally tried to give a hairbrushing task analysis to a little black boy that was the exact same as a white boy and a white girl and I'm like it, it that literally is not how they brush their hair their hair we don't wash our hair every day. So like, why are you putting in like a hair washing protocol and having your RBT probe it every day? It's like little things like that. And it's like, I'm the RBT, <laughs> like my supervisor should be the one, if anything, that in theory should be like more mindful, right? And, and should be showing me best practices. And I think that's another reason why these conversations, while I think are super, super late, are so important because I just, I don't think that collectively as like a, a body of behavior analysts, um, because our field is predominantly white, although obviously the board does not, you know, have us disclose what our, our um, race is, which I, I think that's a whole other thing. Um, you know, like there is no, there's no like extra thought into that. Um, I had a client who 
um, like she, her mom, like really wanted her to be like to sit in church. And I had to like explain to my supervisor, like the significance of like black church and like why it was significant to, to have this child be able to engage in like seated behavior in like attending or, you know, whatever. And again, like there was just no, which I didn't mind doing it because I'm like, I'm going to advocate for, for this child, even if I'm just starting to right. But like, there was just no frame of, of reference. And, and I don't know, I just think that can get very, very dangerous. I think that can get, because at this point, we're supposed to be doing like socially significant things, but we're not required to actually be culturally competent to ensure that we're actually putting out socially significant goals and, and programs. Right. And so is that something that like you experienced there as well? Um, I haven't had, um, like a, I, I, I don't have a client, um, that I can really, uh, that like an, an experience like that comes to, um, my mind. Um, but I have heard conversations around this type of stuff in the ABA community or even just, um, behavior analysts being so confident on a topic because of their background and because of, um, and I think this is just a problem across our field anyway, um, of just this very, at least in my experience, and I think pe other people agree with me, but um, just <laughs> like a very pretentious uh, attitude in the field, uh, which is so sad to me because it's like, you know, here we are, we're trying to save the world with ABA, we're trying to work, you know, <laughs> improve people's lives and all these things um and then we're coming in with this like know-it-all attitude which has been like a turnoff to me since uh from the first time i encountered it in the field um and it's almost made made me leave the field too just because i i was fine you know me specifically i think for all those people that have like worked in one company or like work with an amazing um, collaborative group of people where people share ideas and people are open to people's ideas. Like that's wonderful. And I'm, I wish I had that, but my experience uh, um, for a lot of my time in the field has been um, arguments over just uh, like very trivial things, more of a debate about, um, you know, who, uh, who can get the scientific credit and acknowledgement over a child's case. Um, and these are just examples, but little things like that, that um, have been uh, so problematic to me. And then when you throw in race and like the lack of cultural competency, competency on top of that, that already exists, um, it's just, it's frustrating. <laughs> Uh, it's frustrating and it's sad more than anything, um, especially when you, most of us, I think, go into the field because we love behavior analysis. We love the potential to make change, um, to really apply the science on like a, a, a massive, um, impactful scale. And then to see things like that happening all the time in this field um, makes me so upset. Um, 
So yeah, those are just, those are just my thoughts on the field and um, in regards to race, uh, not being seen, not being respected, um, not being the the person that's looked to, even if you're on the child's case. So I have had that experience among professionals. So I guess I haven't really had um, a specific client that I can think of, but among professionals for sure. Um, you know, um, I've done work and written plans um, and have, um, you know, implemented things that have resulted in impactful change for some of my clients and then have been given zero credit for the contribution that I've made um, and having all of it being given to my white supervisors, um, specifically white male supervisors too. Um, I've had that happen many times. Um, and it's just, it's just the theme of like being, being a black woman in general. Um, you're not the go-to person. You're not the person that knows, is gonna know what you're talking about. Um, Camille, do you have anything to add? No, I mean, you're literally like, I, I feel like we like worked at the same places. Yeah, legit. That, and it's kind of hard too, because it's almost like when you try to like call it out, like you're wrong. And then again, this whole narrative, like the angry black woman and you're like, yo, like, I'm rightfully upset about something, you know what I mean? And and somehow it is like my fault because how dare I be upset about it? How dare I question this? Um, and I, I'm with you, it's very discouraging. I didn't like where I thought I should say, I did not like the field. Um, I mean, very early on, like very, very early on. And then I finally was able to realize like I had to discriminate really between like the whole field versus like whatever like my experiences were at that time um and I think deciding to go to school kind of helped me to stay motivated to like get to this point where like because I, I, I feel I felt like if I like made it to be like an analyst like if I passed that exam and all that stuff like I finally would have a little bit more weight to like stand on to actually like speak my mind um, and I mean, because truly, like the same things that I've been saying over the past two weeks have been the same things I've been saying my whole life. You know what I mean? And I, and so, yeah, I just, but it, it's it's disheartening. It's very, very disheartening. Um, and then even when you go get those credentials and get the degree, um, people don't expect that you have it. So that's another thing. Um, I've walked into yes. many homes where people are asking, like, "Where's the supervisor?" um oh are you the bcba um and you we're prepared for it that's another thing so that camille and i were having this conversation too about just like the private events that we have before we even like enter these spaces it's a given it's expected like i'm already preparing for like what are they going to think about who i am what are they going to think about um how my hair looks or um what are they going to think about my knowledge and ability to, to speak uh on you know about what i know and what i what how i can help or what advice i can give so um like the compliments about like how articulate we speak and you know how eloquent we are and it's like i mean i'm literally on the clock like i'm not going to talk to you the exact same way i would if we were at a bar like of course i'm articulate <laughs> like i'm a professional and and it's just all these like microaggressions after microaggressions after microaggressions or it's a little bit more overt and then again if you bring that up 
you have to worry about like, is my company going to back it up? Is my company going to actually reinforce the fact that I feel whatever kind of way about this? And, you know, the reality is most, more likely than not, the company isn't because the client, you know, is the one that's paying for the service. And I think that was hard um, when, when we were talking, we were talking about our private events. I think if there was one thing out of all the things <laughs> I hope that people will remember is like how exhausting it is to, to be black and white America because we literally have to think and prepare and prepare and think about everything, like literally everything. I have to think about the volume at which I talk or laugh. I have to think about my facial expressions. I have to think about what I wear. I have to think about what I don't wear. I have to think about my hair. I have to think about my nails. I have to think about, I mean, just about anything. And, and then I still have to show up and actually do my job. And it's like, I just, it is, it is, it is so, it feels so heavy sometimes. And it's like that, it's almost like quicksand where it's like the more you try to fight it though, the deeper you sink. And there really is no coming up though, because this is literally life and it's always been our lives. And, and I think that's what's been so interesting about the last like two to three weeks in our field, because I'm so torn between, like I wrote a Facebook status about it where it's like, I don't know if I should be like praising a fish for swimming and like being so happy that people are finally like getting hit to this, or if I should be like, like, well, finally, it's like, this is like the bare minimum that people like, you know, should be doing. And, and I don't know, like, do I reinforce these behaviors that I want to see? Or do I just not say anything and pray to God I'm not extinguishing it? Because it's like, I don't want to have to like, give a whole bunch of behavior specific social praise for people finally acknowledging my existence in a field that like, from the very beginning, like didn't really want us to be here. I don't know. It's, it's yeah, and uh, one of the things that I read re recently that um, I really agree with from um, Rachel Cargill is that um, so anti-racist work is not self-improvement work for white people. And I think that a lot of what we're seeing now um, is exactly that. Uh, and, and yeah, to a degree, you do need to improve on yourself, you always need to be improving yourself. Um, but really, this is a collective uh, human rights issue, ba basic human rights. Uh, and white supremacy is so, uh, like, it's just been here, like, <laughs> from the beginning of time, not time, but for a, for a very long time. Mm -hmm. And because it's here and it's so ingrained into everything and systems and the way we talk to each other and our interpersonal reactions, um, it's even in many cases at the forefront of what looks like work and what looks like anti-racism work, but is actually, um, you know, let me work on myself, let me center myself, let me make this about me. Um, and, you know, that's that's a whole different um, topic. But the, I, I was thinking about the microaggressions too. Um, and um, this, this thought, this example just came to me just about like how early this starts too, because a lot of people, and that I'm thinking specifically about the people that are afraid to talk to their kids, um, but I'll never forget this. Um, 
I was in the car with my dad, my dad who's Haitian. Um, we were in a parking lot and he, uh, we were trying to exit, exit the parking lot as this other white woman was trying to come in. So clearly somebody was wrong. And in that situation, it just so happened to be my dad. And I was in the car, I was like six, six or seven years old, maybe. And um, the lady was just so upset at my dad for going the wrong way. And she just kept shouting, this is America, this is America, just like over and over and over. And, you know, there's so many messages just in that one phrase, like, um, <laughs> you know, you're, you, you don't belong here. Um, this isn't your country. Um, you don't know how to drive. And that's probably the reason <laughs> why, um, you're making this wrong turn and all of this stuff. And my dad just kept saying, uh, I know this is America. I know this is America. Till this day, we still talk about that incident because um, now we can laugh about it. Um, but I was like six and I never forgot that incident for whatever reason. Um, and it's just like, that's what I've been dealing with as a, as a child and seeing my, my parents get treated a certain way. And for white kids um, who are not having to have these conversations with their parents, but their black peers in school are seeing these incidents and having these conversations with their parents all the time, um, it completely dismantles like this idea that um, you need to protect your kids early. Um, if you wanna add anything to that, Camille. Yeah, I almost feel like it's almost kind of ironic in that, like, from the time that we're kids, we're literally getting coached and prepared to deal with this. And on the other hand, I think for white kids, it's like they're being coached on not seeing color and they're being coached on not seeing um, what I think, like, what we now consider, like, overtly racist. And it just, it's so interesting. Um, I talked about it on, um, you know, another podcast. I had an eight-year-old client call me the n-word and um before this though his parents googled me because they claimed that he was very year old and that they didn't want him to have a black therapist because he was and i was just like this is interesting you know uh, but at the time this was during the time in the field where we were just there at first and then like we had to be an rbc so i was like the only rbc at the company and due to their insurance you know I had to stay on the case. And that was interesting because I'm like, I don't know if my job, if, if there were other RPCs in my job, their parents were their request to not have black therapists for taking me off. But anyways, nonetheless, I had to stay on the case. Uh, and the client, you know, just made very, very like racist remarks all the time. And whenever we would bring it to the parents, they just acted so confused. Like literally, like so confused. And what's interesting is I watched my supervisor kind of dance around it. Like we know eight-year-olds aren't, or we know people period aren't just like born racist. But I watched my supervisor instead of what I felt like would have been like having my back and just calling a spade a spade and actually addressing it, not with the kid because it's the kid, and you know we can we can obviously include you know, inappropriate words or, you know, however it is that we want to objectively define it in like our actual plan, but actually talking to the parents about it, they just kind of, you know, danced around it while also like leaving me in this like line of fire. And, and, and so that was interesting. 
And then the more interesting part though, to me at least, kind of going back to that whole like intersectionality is that like these were the people that would be at like pride, like celebrating like part of my identity, but somehow being clearly like overtly racist and not only being overtly racist, but teaching their child to be. And I think for me, like that's one of the most interesting things about our field. Our field is so like pride, woo, like, but when it comes to like race or any other parts of culture, really, I don't really know why, like why we aren't generalizing this. Like why, why can we be like so, I think welcoming, because I, I think our, our field really is welcoming to, to really like the LGBTQIA like plus community. And, and I do benefit from that. Like that is a privilege that I think I have within this community. Um, but but not to my blackness and and even so though now that i say that now that i'm thinking about it out loud like i don't know if if you know like you know whatever company it is that i work for if like a, if i were to disclose that like my fiance is a woman like i don't and and, and my client were to be like i don't want a lesbian practitioner i don't know if my job would be like i mean tough luck like this is who you have like i don't or i don't know if my my, um, not, and I don't mean like my specific employer now, I just mean like period, like hypothetically speaking as a field, I don't really know kind of what we do about that. And that's tough, like it's very, very, it's almost hard like wearing all of these, these kind of hats um, and having to learn from a very early age that like the world is inevitably going to treat you differently and not in a good way because you wear all of these hats. And also, you know, like it, it's one thing to like advocate to the, at least the company, to the um, to the client about um, your expertise and your knowledge and uh, your knowledge, and why uh, you are in the position that you're in. But then also, um, if you're uncomfortable as a pro- professional, as a black professional. Um, can you be removed from the case? Can you, you know, can we prioritize, uh, you know, your, cause that's going to affect your job too, like as well. Um, but we live in such a capitalistic society um, that it, it, you know, I'm really questioning the amount of companies that would, um, do something like that uh, and be willing to lose uh, a client and money um, to make you feel valued as an employee, which is equal, equally as important. I agree. Well, and I think too, to that point, it's, it's been interesting seeing all of these companies either at a request or, um, you know, just in either independently or or you know due to like um a social influence i don't know like coming out with all of these statements lately about like black lives matter um they've been very most of them i think have been very specific to name like a few key names right now of people who have unfortunately been murdered um you know due to the like white supremacist society that we live in and it's been so interesting watching what what i wonder you know as far as like you know 
the, their future frequency of any of their you know responses or behaviors i just kind of wonder what we as a field are going to do about like this whole like performance kind of allyship versus like actually advocating like not only again for your clients because we do have clients of all different everything um, but also for you know your practitioners because again like we all we have practitioners of all different everything and more I guess to that point like what I'm interested to see what we as a field do like just as like a governing body like what are we going to do to ensure that all of us are culturally competent that all of us are being very responsible with all our various platforms um and I just hope that we don't continue to like punish the people who are trying to correct behaviors um but I think right now I feel just bewildered if I if I had to be honest um and I feel like like this whole podcast like I've been like laughing and joking and I think it's almost like like a defense mechanism at this point because we just we know how this is gonna and I hate to say that but it's like we know how this is gonna go like like we just we know and and that's disheartening to me um it's so true like just just being fully transparent um like we talked about private private events earlier i've already had a bunch of them doing this whole podcast like let me make sure that i say this in this type of way or um you know uh social behaviors like um laughing and smiling are more appealing to to anybody um you know make people more comfortable and all those types of things the reality is you know after 400 years of your ancestors being um brutally enslaved um killed killed raped um having their children taken away from them, having their land stolen. Like, we don't want to have these conversations because they're so uncomfortable, but we can kind of coddle and treat the discomfort of white people in, the, in this conversation in modern day um, with so much care, um, even among us, which is why I think that internalized oppression is so important to talk about because this is a, this is just a, a form of of that um, having these thoughts and having to um, constantly shrink yourself down um, is is a form of uh, internalized oppression. Just like um, you know European beauty standards and um, things like colorism. And we were talking about this too. Like you know, there's a lot of white people that will hear things like. Um, colorism and problems within the black community or marginalized communities and say like well you guys have all these problems in your own community you just need to figure them out you need to figure that out too but the reality is like a lot of the problems that exist within our community is a direct result of the bigger problem (laughs) which is um white supremacy and um you know the fact that um like I was saying earlier, like from a, like just anti-Black um, ideology is global. Um, I've seen it in India. India is a big one, um, big in the Philippines. 
um, big in Haiti, where my dad is from, um, and all of the, you know, there's like a hierarchy. The, the, the more proximity you have to whiteness, the better you are, even within, uh, within um, people of color communities. So um, yeah, it, it, I, I think the reason why it's important to say this is because like, this is such a massive problem. Like, and so like all of the white people that are, that really are like, what can I do? I really want to fix this. Like, um, and I, under, I understand that, but at the same time, um, the problem is so large and I'm not saying that to say like, we forget about it, definitely not, or make it seem like it's something that we, we shouldn't work towards or intimidate people by saying that, but um, it's also not a quick fix. <laughs> You're not going to fix, especially in the U.S. where it's so heavily systemic, you're not going to fix it in two weeks of talking to 10 Black people or reading all the books um, or, you know, whatever knowledge that you've newly found. It's, it's not going to be fixed and not, not to be discouraged by that, but to remember that and constantly recommit to moving in in the direction that you want to head towards and bringing people with you along that journey too i think i also think too like you know and this is coming from somebody who like i am so sensitive like i'm not even kidding if you look at me the wrong way i'm like in the corner crying like my feelings are hurt um but like really shaping this behavior I think of just like humility when you get feedback um and knowing how to toe that line without like centering white centering um because I think sometimes I think the reality is like whenever we're learning something new like we're all gonna mess up at some point um and it, and, and that's okay I think you have to though be like receptive and open to that feedback without victimizing yourself because you're getting the feedback and I think we have to be careful not to police how people are giving the feedback as well um and I think we also just have to all kind of acknowledge some of the privileges that we may have um as it relates to feedback I had a supervisor a white supervisor describe herself as brown to me talking about where she got you know where she gets her color from and she's white like 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 there is nothing <laughs> like brown about her but I remember feeling so angry like literally enraged that I couldn't say anything because she was my supervisor and I knew that if I did I, there was a chance that I would either lose my job or I would at the very least just be uncomfortable at the job. And so instead, I like she was saying, like I literally just shrank myself and instead then like that supervisor, I mean, literally like just became an S Delta. Like I only interacted with this person if I had to. Um, and I quickly, honestly found another job. Um, but even that where it's just like, you know, be mindful, I think, of, of some of, because I, I feel like, honestly, like, we're in 2020, like, there are certain things that I feel like white people have heard enough that, that, that people of color don't like, that, like, at this point, it's, like, do better, 
like no pun intended <laughs> like literally like you cannot ever touch my hair like you don't even ask like you cannot ever talk to me about how tan you are and try to like relate that to my brown skin like literally like just don't don't do that don't ever talk to me about black on black crime or if you do I do believe at this point there should be a certain expected response you know like I can't cut cuss in front of my mom like and if I do even at 30 I expect a certain response because like she has set that precedent like I can't cuss in front of my boss for example you know what I mean like we learn we learn how to discriminate between all these different things and I just I don't know why I like like cultural humility is not one of them and it just and, and I think for me like I'm at a point where it's like I think we have all shown in various ways that like we have within our repertoire to like learn something that is different like literally look at how we usually apply the science of behavior analysis like we had to learn about this this particular or these particular like sets of um of like disorders or terminology or whatever like we had to learn that and and now we have created like all these different contingencies and we either like discriminate between some of them we generalize some of them and it's like for some reason when it comes to like race and ethnicity and culture i, I just i i personally don't buy the excuse that like we just can't do it do it you know with that i don't know and i i feel like i think it's also because we've been taught to avoid the conversation from day one so even in elementary school um i remember getting told that i was playing the race card like that's actually a term that has been created what does that even mean um you know why are you playing the victim uh slavery is over get over it um you know we have we have a black president like obviously we've moved on uh from all of this and like it's just like this constant like messaging that it's like it's all done it's over it's all done we're in a new era and it's just false um and um yeah i feel like that like there's already the white supremacy and then there's like you know here's the white supremacy and also we don't talk about race just so you know like um which is uh yeah it's i don't have much else <laughs> for that one but it, um it's sad uh and and in aba like um and this is why i think it's so important like because at least um and i am thankful for my program to um megan you can probably attest to this as well but um at least um at least what i was taught in aba um i i learned um not just a narrow perspective and that has helped me to see uh behavior analysis in everything um it's not just autism it's not just uh you know obm it's not just you know all of these different little very narrow focused areas uh it's everything it's everything it's your interpersonal interactions it's your learning history um from the day you stepped into this world and um not everyone i have found has that view that world view at least um 
And so for me, I'm like sitting here in the field, like, how can this happen? Like, how is ABA, how are behavior analysts not saying anything about this? Like how, um, and I mean, the learning, like there's a learning history, even within the field too, that also needs to be acknowledged in addition to like the learning history of um, your experience out of the field. So that, that was just something that I think is important to say. None of these things occur in a vacuum. Um, everything intersects. Everything connects to each other. That's a really good point too. And I wonder if that is maybe another way that as a field we can do better as, you know, with respect to like just cultural competency um, and really just, I think just the overarching issue of human rights is if, if having that in our curriculum was actually a part of our curriculum versus like just learning about autism. I know like my master's was in counseling and ABA. And so in my counseling classes, I did get, I think more of like an all encompassing kind of view of just behavior and you know like now what I know now is like private events and things like that but honestly for like all of my ADA classes it was just like wrote pretty mm -hmm. strict autism and and I don't think that there were ever really even like too many um like examples of how to apply the principles and the science to just everyday life which was so heartbreaking to me because like that is literally all I do like I do work, you know, in the field of autism primarily, but like the way I fell in love with this science was being able to just try to apply it outside of that. Um, so yeah, I wonder if 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 that is a way to to do that. Are you allowed? Are we? Are we? Are you allowed to say like where you went to school? Are you allowed to say that? Is she allowed to say that name? I don't know. <laughs> we both went to the same school, so it's fine. Yeah, um, I went to Florida State, but I will say. Um, Another thing that I'm thinking of too is the broad perspective that I had um, was valuable. But one of the things that I also always say is um, like, you know, now I think a lot of people are being, becoming more aware of ACT um, and how it applies to the field. Um, and for a long time early in my career and in grad school, um, that was not emphasized at all, zero. Um, and now like knowing what I know about ACT, it's completely changed um, the way that I, that I approached everything. So even, um, cause I really don't even wanna like hype, hype up my experience. Like I was really just using that as, as an example um, to, to say how important it is to have that, that big large scope. Um, but I still learned very rigid um, punishers, reinforcers, like this is how you change a behavior, very just like, um, you know, ignoring um, people's feelings, <laughs> like we don't talk about feelings, that's mentalistic, um, and like how can we even have this conversation about racism if we're not even gonna talk about that. So, you know, it is later that I um, started to really bring that in to my experience very, very recent too, honestly. Um, and even outside of the field, um, 
my experience in yoga and um, really like learning a, um, mental health um, is, is huge, especially for our community. When we talk about things like generational trauma and stuff like that, I did not get that from ABA whatsoever. Um, and I don't even want to argue because um, I really don't even like shrinking ABA to like, this is just ABA, like yoga is ABA too, like um, mental health is ABA too. Um, whatever I'm doing outside of the field is, is also behavior analysis too. So we've created this culture where ABA is just like this bubble um, and, it, and that's a part of the problem too. Melody, can I ask you a question real quick? You don't have to answer it, but I've been trying to stay silent, but I am um, very curious to know with when you're talking about the broad scope, um, you're talking more about like the different applications of our science because I, when I was at Florida State, we didn't have like any training on cultural competency or like knowing your population in terms of like, the, there was a little bit for OBM, like learning the business and stuff, but there wasn't anything on like learning about, it was like the exact opposite, you know, we're a science, we don't need to know those yeah. things. Yeah, so it's like, um, and that part was helpful, I think, like, um, because you're, learn you're learning the science, you're learning B.F. Skinner, you're learning, um, you know, this, this is ABA, this, this is how it applies, but you're not taking into consideration um, these very, very important uh, things, like, um, you know, the context of the person that you're, you know, going into somebody's home um, and realizing the impact that that might, that that might have, you know, so it, there was a lot of just black and white, black and white, black and white. Um, and I think that that's just like across the field, whether you're in um, working in counseling or whether you're in specifically OBM or whether you're in specifically autism, um, just like a black and white um, thing. So I'm thankful that I was able to have that um, large view, um, but even with that very, very rigid, very, very rigid, uh, which is just a downfall of, of the field. And I think one of the reasons why like there's this big pretentious attitude of just like, we're so scientific and um, you know, we love our data and our graphs and our jargon. And like, that's why we, you know, every conference, there was a while where like every single conference that I was going to, there was some talk or something about how we need to like expand our reach and we need to do all of this stuff. And it's like, if you're not talking about cultural competency and racism and like these major, major things, how can you even begin to have that conversation? I, um, so I've been here in Hawaii for a little over a year. And again, I've been in the field since 2013. And the very first time I heard about ACT is when I moved here. And I just remember being like, oh my gosh, like this is about feelings. Like, are we supposed to be like doing this? You know what I mean? And I just remember being like, so like happy but so confused because like that just was not my like learning history at all in this field and I always remembered feeling so like conflicted by that where it's just like I mean I know that like we we, we are like 
our primary focus is like behaviors, but like feelings matter. Like, you know, our feelings do contribute to our behaviors. Um, and even now, like I've probably text Melody, I don't even know how many times, like asking her, like, what book should I read about this? Like, where should I start? Cause I'm just like, I feel like I almost have to play like catch up, you know, like, and try to like learn all these. I mean, cause I truly like did not know what it was at all and now that I'm kind of on this like beginning kind of journey with ACT um it has been very interesting trying to figure out like especially like over the course of like the last couple of weeks like really figure out like what my values are and like why certain things have been like triggering me so much from like practitioners in our field and then like figuring out like how do I operate within my value how do I also figure out the function though of like the behavior that I want to engage in? Um, and then also just trying to like figure out like different like antecedent and consequence strategies on like to really kind of find this balance of like like not like policing myself, like saying how I feel and like advocating for like my community without like again like being that whole angry black woman. Is that something that like you you also kind of juggle as well, would you say? Yeah, and I've, at least I'm thinking too of like the, at least, at least learning about ACT, um, I did the same thing. Like, <laughs> even before ACT, like even before learning about what ACT was, just learning about like, we're talking about people's thoughts and feelings. Oh my God, that is so mentalistic. Like, we don't do that. Um, mentalistic, mentalistic, like that was just like such a big word, um, you know, circular reasoning and like all of these different just, and then it creates this AB, it, like it's an, it's an ABA culture, I feel, uh, to ignore people, ignore, ignore, ignore the kids you're working with, ignore, um, your employee, you know, um, and, yeah, I just think it, the other thing that it does is it it makes you separate ABA from your real life, and it shouldn't be that way. Um, like what I what we're and that's what we're taught to do as as Black people. Period. Like you know, you go you go into work, you put all your all your problems aside. You know, you put on your work face. You, you know, spend the day trying to impress white people all day long. Um, and then there's your, a your ABA, your work is separate, um, but it's not, it's not separate at all. Um, you know, we can talk about a child coming in, you know, from maybe, maybe being on vacation for a week or maybe coming in sick and he's not, um, you know, as responsive or as attentive, but we can't talk about our experience as individuals and the learning histories that we bring into work and our private events and our thoughts and how that, that affects our work, which directly impacts the child, the team that is on that child's case. So all of this stuff connects. It's all behavior analysis and we, and we don't talk about it. And that's uh, just so problematic to me. That's a really good point. I know last week, I think it was last week, um, like anybody that knows me, I'm pretty like bubbly and 
and and that's just like I'm just very like outgoing like I have a very um, like extrovert for the most part kind of personality and we had um, a team meeting last week and I'm not kidding I literally was like crying like right before the meeting I barely slept um, and I just felt so heavy and so literally I'm not kidding like the whole time I was in the meeting and I was just very like I mean, literally just like monotone, like I, and I, I did not physically have the energy to even like pretend. And it was like the second that meeting was, was done, I was able to literally almost immediately just like continue to cry because it just felt so heavy. And I think the heaviest part for me was how my seemingly the people in the meeting were, una, they were seemingly like unaffected by the exact thing that just felt so heavy. And, you know, some days after I was able, um, I, for whatever reason, I just felt comfortable, like admitting to one of the people that were in the meeting, like, I just, I couldn't even pretend, like, I literally could not pretend. And their response, um, you know, luckily, like, they were really open to it. And we didn't have a long conversation about it. And I didn't expect it to. Um, but it was just, it was so interesting. Like, I, I was so down you know <laughs> and and you know to everyone else again it seemed and, I, and I'm not going I, I mean for 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 me to agree with you about like the performance that we oftentimes have to put on at work I can't I, I won't go I won't be so like arrogant and proper to think that maybe that they were just completely unaffected I don't know that's I guess that's not for me to say but it felt very very heavy very very heavy and for the people who know me, um, especially my white friends that week, they just knew, like, let me at least, like, check in. Like, you know, Cammie, are you okay? You need anything? You know, without doing too much. Just like, I'm so sorry, you know, that whole thing. Um, but it was, it, but I think that's, a, I think that's one of the most interesting things about being a Black in America is that, I mean, life just continues to go and the same heartbreaking oppression continues to happen. And you you almost kind of build up this like immunity to it until it just finally gets so heavy that you just crack, but then you have to, I mean, you still have to get dressed and go to work and you still have to engage in, in um, these acts. And again, kind of going back to that whole generalization thing, I think that's just so interesting um, about white women in particular. I remember when Me Too, the Me Too movement first, um, started to really kind of take off and at first I remember being so upset about it because a black woman is the one who founded it but of course we didn't know that because of how you know it works but I just remember seeing that there had been kind of like this shift in a lot of the women a lot of the white women in particular in my life that they felt um you know heavy they felt that heaviness you know because it's all over the internet you're you're probably you know thinking or rethinking about some of your your past traumatic experiences but again like there is no generalization from like of empathy right from from being able to like recall in a time where social media finally picked up on your pain to still having to like act and perform at work there was seemingly like there is seemingly like no empathy from that to like what 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 black and brown people are going through every day in America. And um, that's hard. That is, I, I, I can't lie, that's very, very hard for me to 
to kind of, what is the word, rebel with? I don't know if that's the right word. It's hard for me to deal with, I'll say. And a lot of these like very progressive movements, the like feminism movement in particular, um, specifically excluded black black women, like ac actually did purposefully. Mm -hmm. um, and so like, this is just part of learning history. And I think also like how we were talking about earlier with, um, you know, sometimes white people feeling like they like talk to a few black people and now they just understand the entire black experience. Well, like another um, thing that black people do is when they show up to work is um, this constant feeling like you like you are representing your uh, entire race, uh, which I've experienced a lot and has made me have major, major um, mental health uh, struggles over, um, you know, to the point where I've felt sick, like felt like I um, didn't want to show up at work because it, it just puts so much pressure on you. Um, feeling like I can't think straight, you know, I've got to like work so hard. And especially if you're the only black person in the room, which is the case for a lot of us, a lot of us that are working professionals, um, and specifically those of us with um, specific, you know, if you're working, if you're, you know, um, working it, if you're a government official or something like that, you know, you're, the chances that you're the only black person in the room are even higher. So um, just, it, it puts so much pressure on you because knowing how white people are, um, seeing you and seeing you as uh, the representative of, of, of all of us, um, you're, you just, it's never out of your mind. Like for me, I ne I've never let that thought out of my mind. If anytime I'm the only black person in a room, that thought is always there. It never goes away. Um, I don't forget about it. I'm constantly aware that I'm black and that um, I can easily be looked at as uh, representing all of my people, which is a lot, it's a lot. You know, you don't wanna have a weak moment, you don't wanna say the wrong thing, you don't wanna make someone upset, like all of this stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, and this is kind of a, um, like I'm literally about to do the exact thing that, that we're saying not to do, but I would kind of like your insight, Megan, like if you could, like if you could kind of speak to that, is do, because I don't, I really don't think that it's like a, a, a conscious thing that, that white people do when they like see me or they see Melody or whoever, and they just assume that like whatever I say is like Bible for all black people. But if you could speak to that, and, and this is again, like super, I, I will preface this by saying it's super rude and kind of messed up that I'm asking you to do this because it's literally what we're saying not to do. But I, I, I would kind of, I do kind of want to know, like, could you speak to that at all? So whether or not, like if I heard you or Melody say something, I would just, oh, that's what all black people think. That's, the, that's it. Um, for me personally, I don't, but I do, especially Melody, we've known each other for several years now and I've spent some good time with her. So if there's people that I'm friends with, whether it's, you know, I have a few friends who are autistic, you know, so 
who live a different experience than me, I highly value, you know, listening to them and trying to learn from them and like what their lived experience is because I won't ever know that. But I, um, I try my best not to think, okay, so that goes for everyone. And I think part of that is because I've had the opportunity to talk to so many different people and I, and not everyone says the same thing. So you get that multiple example. Um, so that's helpful, but I definitely, I mean, I don't know if I should bring this up or not, but we've all seen some of the videos. Some people are sharing like one specific black person who agrees with them. Mm -hmm. So then they just like share that, you know, and it's like that person doesn't speak for everyone. And the same would go for Mm -hmm. any, you know, marginalized group that we're talking about. So I definitely think that that's a struggle, um, that not a struggle, an issue that, um, that exists. And I, I honestly don't know how to change that besides hopefully it stinks that it took this long to get here, but with the last few weeks, so many more voices being elevated and amplified and people getting more exposure because it's unfortunate that a lot of people, especially in the United States, don't even have, have a black person that they could like, that they would feel comfortable talking um, to about these types of things too, I think. So for that, for that opportunity now with like, there's new Instagram pages that I'm following that I never knew existed and horrifically never thought to even look for. Right. But I'm not really on Instagram too much either. So there's that. I don't follow a whole lot of people, but now I am. Um, so hopefully with more opportunities in that way, that will change a little bit, but does that answer the question? I, 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 I mean, I'm, I'm obviously not white, so I don't know what's going on in, in the minds of white people when they do this, but I have had white people and even um, white people that I've considered friends um, and maybe have um, a black boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife or, um, you know, a black best friend or something um, respond to my, like, if they're disagreeing with something that I'm saying, respond with, um, my boyfriend thinks this, or, you know, my, uh, whoever thinks this, and it's just like, you know, these are people that consider themselves, you know, liberal and progressive, and, um, you know, I'm, these are the, I'm not the racist people, (laughs) Um, but when you make a statement like that, um, it is inherently racist because it's a way of saying, um, I'm going to disagree with your argument. And not only am I going to disagree, I'm going to prove to you that I'm right because I know a Black person that thinks this, um, which goes back to what we were saying about, like, we're not monolithic. We have different experiences and also like your proximity to a Black person does not qualify you as not racist either. That's what's so interesting about being a part of the LGBTQIA community because the racism in our community, you would think is just no non-existent because you know love is love and we were born this way and <laughs> equality and no, no, it's just it's something so insidious about racism that is quite literally just American, like, I, and and not and and not to say that it's only here in America, but it is just literally like so deeply embedded in us that like it, it's just it's it's honestly it's insane. Like I, I don't, I, it's it's sad and it's it's insane. I think like there's like that quote that 
I'm sure like we've all heard in our field where it's like if you meet like one person with autism, like you've met one person with autism. And I literally feel like I want to say that's human. Where it's like if you meet one black person, like you've met one black person. And like that's it. Like I don't assume that like you and like any of my other white friends have anything in common. Like I just I don't that would just be so <laughs> yeah and that that's actually really I hadn't even like thought about that part either I think um people with especially with marginalized groups do that though right like even though I just said I don't but I do think the tendency is there it's like well let me go find that one person who meets this you know profile whether again it's race or um even like LGBTQIA um, like you, you just kind of, your brain automatically is like, well, let me go get their viewpoint on it. Um, but that, again, to me, it doesn't represent everyone's, but, um, I think there's a balance, there's a balance there too. Um, because we'd be remiss if we didn't get the perspective of a variety of people when we're making decisions about something, but then to assume that they represent everyone is also not good either. Yeah, I think I have um, somebody. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Um, no, I was just gonna say that I I don't think that white people are aware of it when they do it. Like I definitely think that's an implicit bias, um, and it's also like the history of white people being centered. So whenever like you interact with a black person and they might disagree with you or oppose what you say um the the need and the motivation to center yourself i think is what like brings in that behavior of um let me pair myself with like this black person and what they said to qualify my my statements um which is which is racist it, it is it is a racist thing to do um and i don't think that it's something that most white people are aware of what were you gonna say? Well, so two things. I recently had someone. Um, they, they I, I don't know the person. But they, um, they just messaged me on. I can't remember which which platform it was on, but they were, um, you know, saying like that they liked the signs that you know, I guess people have seen like from the protests and stuff, and uh, they were just saying they were asking me about like my experience as a black woman in a BCBA. And I, I'm like, where do we to start, you know? Anyways, and then they proceeded then to compare them being trans and me being black. And they were asking me to ask, tell them how I thought their experience would be as a future trans practitioner. And I'm just like, like <laughs> these things don't like that. I just, I was so, it was just very confusing. Cause I'm just like, I, how, why? And so then it's even more of like a overgeneralization. Cause it's like, why? I'm, because I'm a minority, I somehow can then speak. Like I am a, I, I, I'm a, cis, a cisgender woman. Like there's so many privileges that I have. It's almost like insulting um, that, 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 that kind of like overgeneralization would even be made, you know? Um, oh yeah, I was thinking about that, but um, there was something that you said, 
Oh, one of the things I think I've also realized about racism too is that I think from the time that we were kids, I think especially like with our generation, we are, we're literally just taught like racism is like the KKK and like saying the N-word and that was it. So it's almost like if you're not doing that, then you're good. Like, and you're a good person. Yeah. And so I think right now, white people are kind of having this like new awakening that is like, no, like actually all of these behaviors and here's my objective definitions of them and here's some examples of them and here's some non-examples of them. Like, these are also considered that. And, um, and I think, I think what we're also kind of seeing, kind of like you were saying, going back to like that centering is like this sense of like, sense of grief which I think is expected like this sense of grief where you're like yo like I may have really hurt a whole lot of people in my life or I may be actively hurting or actively doing this and and that's that's not easy to, to sit with I know for me um in my earlier my earlier my younger years um when I was learning about like the trans community for example there was a, a grieving period that I had because I really had to unlearn and unpack so many of the things that I was taught. Um, and I had to reckon with the fact that I have probably hurt and been toxic to people in my life with or without me knowing it intentionally or not. And, and my intentions don't matter, right? It's like my impact over my intentions. I had to unlearn that and I had to unpack that. And I had to vow to make a conscious effort every single day to be better again no pun intended <laughs> and um and so i think for me like that's what i that that's one of the things that i've appreciated about like the people in my life who are on this journey of, of becoming and 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 um, engaging in like anti-racist practices that that they seem to really understand like we are it's, a, it's a really like a journey like we are literally on this journey of just being better human beings and and you don't have to play victim when somebody like calls you out on it you know like you don't have to p do some performance of like you know wearing kente cloth or mm -hmm. supporting colin kaepernick five years too late like you don't have right. to do those things like you can literally just be like you can even in your in your moment of like private reflection you can just look at yourself in the mirror and literally just be like yo like i have some things i have to unlearn and that's it like that's literally that's literally it i think right now there's like so many groups on, on facebook where white people are like well, what do i do now and it's like just sit with that allow yeah, yourself yeah. to feel the grief because it re i mean Think about like behavior change like the things that we are doing just as analysts like it's not easy like we don't we don't we didn't learn this overnight you know what i mean and and, and to really create like a long lasting behavior change like you have to be intentional on that and and just be careful i think like don't don't police the kind of criticism that you get though because again like the road to hell is paved with good intentions i do not believe that the average um experiences of racism that i have experienced in in in, in my life have been like like so calculating you know and like so intentional i don't but that's what almost makes it even harder to change right um and so it's like it's okay like we're all on this journey um and it's hard like acknowledge that it's hard and 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 it's okay and i like seriously i literally recommend like dr victoria ferris like 
I'm obsessed with this woman's work with disrupting racism. I'm obsessed with the fact that she's relentless and I love that. And she understands that she has a privilege as a white woman where she could be relentless to act that I don't because my relentlessness is me police. And my relentlessness can get me literally killed. My relentlessness mm-hmm. can get me like fired or whatever, you know? And I just I don't know. I just I I I pray that like this podcast helps people to just want to continue to do the work. Like if there's any message that I think um, I could give to just that. Like please don't stop doing the work just because it doesn't feel good. Because other things like yoga doesn't feel good. Well, to Melody it may. CrossFit, which I love, does not feel good. Like spin class does not feel good. Like hiking does not feel good. And we do it anyways. Yeah, studying a list of ABA terms to prepare for your exam doesn't feel good to a lot of people, I'm sure. Um, I fully agree with that too. Like that's my one actionable step. Um, Be willing to be uncomfortable every time. Every time you get a comment, every time you wanna respond to somebody, every time that you have thoughts that show up, every time that a black person maybe calls you out, be willing, be willing to be uncomfortable and then move forward. If you do that one step, that's, that's the hardest part of the work. Like if, if you do that one step, you almost can't do any, anything wrong after that. Like you can't because um, you have to do the internal work. You have to be willing to put yourself in new spaces, to try new things. Um, and then I think everything will just fall into place. Um, are there any like resources, not resources, but any, you know, things like websites or things like that that you think you want to share with people before we end um, to check out or to, if they want to follow you and just see more about who they learned from today or anything? We didn't talk about doing this, so feel free to say <laughs> no. But <laughs> if there is, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, I personally don't have, um, like, I don't have a learning platform for this topic. Um, I really focus my work, especially when it comes to wellness and mental health. I really focus my work on the liberation of my community and Black people um, is most important to me. So I don't think that my platform would be a place for, like, white people to learn more but there's plenty of people um, that that are doing that um, who I do follow and are amazing. So yeah, I think there's, I've been seeing a bunch of stuff floating around on the internet. So probably the people that I would name, maybe most people have, I hope most people that have started this work maybe have heard about them. Um, Camille, do you have any? Yeah, I was gonna say same here. Um, I mean, honestly, like, I could give you my Instagram, but I'm just, I'm really not that interesting. <laughs> really am not. Um, and I just, I, I, but I'm kind of like you though. Like for me, um, one of the things um, that I am pretty intentional about is again, like black liberation as well. So, um, I mean, I guess if you're a student, I do offer like remote supervision. Um, you can go to readysweataba.com. Um, but yeah. I mean, I'm really, I'm like, I'm super boring. Feel free to follow me, but you're, you're not going to see anything fun. <laughs> All right. And I, I know you mentioned um, Vic, 
Victoria Ferris. So I'll definitely include her information in the show notes. And I have a few resources that I've been gathering. So um, I'll include those as well. And I think that's probably it for today. So um, thank you both again for taking the time to talk and share your experiences. And um, I, I keep not wanting to say teach us, but you are teaching us. So thank you for that. We're very grateful.